I think part of our personalities are we're kind of never satisfied. You know, we're constantly going, are we different enough? Review what we're doing. Can we improve it? Are the people we've got on this journey, can we develop them more? You know, do we need to add a different blend of people in our business to take us to the next level? I don't think that ever changes, really. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Redman and Matt Halfbenny, who are the owners of the property recruitment company based in London, Manchester. Kevin is the founder and Matt's the managing director. The company started in 2012. Currently, they have nine people and plans to expand. Their website is www.propertyrecruitmentcompany.com. Thanks for being here, guys. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Awesome. I feel left out not having a beard today. I know. We try. One of our values is dare to be different. And we were from the world of clean shaven recruitment. So yeah. when you start your own company, you're like, we can change the rules a bit here. We can take our suits off and we can have beards. There you go. It's almost a prerequisite to join us. <laughs> well, Awesome. I, I uh, have had a beard on and off um, over the years. I, I was a philosophy major and it's pretty much required when you enroll in philosophy that you have to grow a beard. So, um, but, uh, so listen, understand that, Kevin, you founded the business back in 2012. Could you just tell us the story of how and why you, you started the business and, and how it's evolved? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my background was um, I started off recruitment. Me and Matt uh, worked in a, a public national public sector company. We started on the same day um, in the same cohort and have been sort of best mates since then. Um, and we both went through our lives together. And there came a point where we, we sort of split and took different journeys. Matt went to another company. I went to a global recruiter. Um and I think I'd always had these sort of the sense of I wanted to do my something on my own. I was the classic, always thought I knew better than my manager. Um, and now I see the frustrations of that. So I apologize to all my old managers, um, but also genuinely wanted to make a difference uh, in recruitment. Uh, I was a born frustrated person who hated like when you went in the room and said your job and everyone's just like, oh, you're a recruiter. You, you know that you, you're sort of no value. You just trade people technically and, and there's no service. And I think I was a, a frustrated person. I wanted to try and prove that a good recruiter adds massive value to an organization. You get the right talent in your business and your business will go forward. You know, in our world, we say two things. We work in property and we are big believers that a building is only as good as the people inside it, running it, creating a community. Um, so yeah, I left, I left, um, something happened in my life. My, my friend got um, severely injured and it came up to a point where I was like, it put everything in perspective. I was like, you know, it made me realize life is pretty short. And if I don't go and explore this, uh, the age I am now, I'll never know. And I may leave my life being frustrated that the dream I had, I never had a go at it. So I left and then the world really changed. And um, I was out of the property world. Uh, me and Matt had worked in affordable housing. Um, and we, or I, saw an opportunity in a particular property sector called student accommodation very new to the UK. And I was just lucky I was in the right place at the right time. I called a few people and I got the chance to get some work given to me. 
and quickly accepted that there is a chance to build a company out of this. And the last seven years has been this amazing journey of, of building that, creating a brand. Um, three years into that, I realized very quickly I needed somebody I totally trusted. Um, I'd most probably at that point overtraded the business, the classic overtrade. I'd promised too many clients, too many things. And I started to realize that we needed to go to a second phase, which was becoming, you know, a bit more nurtured in, in what we do and having the right people. So I sort of approached Matt and I'd been speaking to him for a very long time to say, look, come over. And, and Matt took the risk to come and join me in 20 um so 2044 four and a bit years now yeah no 2050 maybe but yeah i've been here four years and eight months if linkedin is accurate um and uh yeah i'm still still going strong i mean kevin you say so, you, you know you went for a trusted person i think you tried them first and then came to me to be to be truthful i think there was sort of five or six people he badgered they all said no and he thought who's who's mental enough to come over and, and try and grow this business and and here i am took on the challenge so so matt when you joined what was it just kevin or was there a team already um no no he had um you know he'd done really well in a very short space of time um I matt quite... has never said that to me by the way so thank you well, 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 I, haven't finished yet. Compliment. I haven't finished yet it's gonna be a backhand compliment. i couldn't believe it to be honest that he managed to get to a point where you know he actually had um you know a few employees around him you know he had some fairly well-defined sectors and areas that he wanted to develop so i felt there was a good framework but i felt with what I'd gone and the path I'd gone in, in my career, I'd, I'd got to a point where I was managing four or five managers, 25 consultants underneath them and, and doing it on a national basis. I, I kind of felt I could take some of that, that experience and hopefully put it in a, in a kind of startup company. It was still a startup, a scale up in my view, um, and help give it some structure and, and give it another platform to kick on again. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I was fascinated by by the sectors that he was operating in. It was obvious that they, there were some real growth opportunities in those. And, you know, it's been a, a journey with, with plenty of bumps in the roads. I'm sure we'll come on to the lovely COVID-19 at some point. But um, even prior to that, you know, it's a typical startup, scale-up business where one minute you're you're thinking you're going to take over the world and you might have a 50 recruit man recruitment business before you know it. The next minute you're going to change and pivot and, and readjust your, your offerings. So um, yeah, fascinating time to, to be in business ownership, really. Absolutely. So I mean, we'll definitely come on to the COVID-19 thing eventually, but could you, you've mentioned bumps in the road, like and even before COVID, what have been the sort of highs and lows um, that you guys have had to navigate? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me personally, um, it's probably the self-challenge of it all. You know, I, I've the last seven years of doing this, I've you never doubt yourself as much as you do running something where the two of us are the final decision makers. And 95% of those decisions we've never had to make before because they're decisions that are just new to you. So I think it's going home at night thinking oh my god have I actually made the right call here and a lot of the time you're like god I, I, I just don't know and I'm gonna have to play it out and I'm, it'll be a learning experience I think for me it's and actually I'll add to that and Matt knows this it's imposter syndrome as well I think you sit there and you're like 
is this real? I, it, it, am I the right person to do this job? Uh, all of those things, I think you're constantly battling with yourself on, on, you know, turning up every day positive, but then it's like a character, isn't it? There are days you go into that office and everyone looks at you and you've got to lead at the front, but then behind it, you're going, oh my, well, this is going to be an interesting month. There's some real challenges ahead. So that's my personal one, more the self-doubt and always managing that imposter piece and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of using it as a tool to make you better. Yeah, I think I can... I can echo some of what Kevin said. I think mine are, mine are probably slightly different. I think my, my self-doubt has become less as I've got more experience than, and I've, I've, I've kind of gone through more highs and lows. You know, I, I was here in, you know, still recruiting a couple of years into my recruitment career in, in 09, in the last kind of recession. Um, I kind of know what that feels and looks like. So I've, I've been less, less fussed to a certain degree on, on, on sort of facing that battle again. I also think if I go back to my early career, um, there was a huge amount of self-doubt. I mean, I had an incredible amount of self-doubt in my first six months, you know, in recruitment. And, you know, I still have a very vivid memory of being told that I needed to meet my manager at the uh, the pub opposite work when we were over at Morgan Hunt. Uh-oh. And I was like, I had no idea whether I was walking into the kind of almost apprentice style, you're fired before The Apprentice was even on TV, um, or I was going to, you know, be told that, is this for you? You know, so many emotions going through my mind. And, you know, I walked into that pub, we had a pint, and I still remember him saying the words that you've got, you've got the chat. You're, you're the most intelligent member of the team. Bearing in mind, he was on my team as well, so that, that's accurate. Um, but, he said, but he said, you're not utilising any of it. You know, you, you've got this fear to get, you just put yourself out there, expose yourself to the clients and candidates and, and actually just, just demonstrate that you can do the job. You, you're hiding. And I was. And he gave me a very clear instruction. You know, you've got, you can either walk out of this pub and it's, it's, it's done and there's no hard feelings. You're a good lad, all the best or you can come back in tomorrow and you got two weeks to kind of demonstrate what you're about, or we have this conversation again and there's probably a fairly clear outcome. And I needed it. You know, I was 20, 22. I wasn't quite sure what my purpose was anyway. Did I want to do recruitment? Am I any good? But it gave me a really clear kind of step up or, or, or leave. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that. I did it. I started to get a few wins quite quickly, little wins, won a job on, delivered a job, made my first temp placement in those two weeks. And all of a sudden you build momentum. You know, recruitment's always been about momentum in my view and it hasn't changed today. And I hold on to that. It's one of my most vivid memories. And bearing in mind, I've had two kids as well and witnessed my wife giving birth. So it, it must have been important in my life to remember it. So I would say there's that. And a more personal one, and I don't mind sharing this because um, you know, I'm kind of at peace with it. You know, I, um, you know, I lost my father six years ago to cancer and it wasn't a sudden thing. It was quite a drawn out process. You know, he struggled with it, recovered, went through two years of, of kind of treatment. And I think sometimes in, in this industry or business in general, people forget that the personal and the business are always very closely synced together and how you approach business is often impacted by what's going on in your personal life. You know, if, if, if you're in a good place there, usually that can be transferred into the work environment. And that was a huge challenge for me because I was, I was lost for a period of time, but I was also at a point where I, I was responsible. I was at Morgan Hunt still. I was responsible for 
you know, two and a half to three million pound revenue budget. And I couldn't completely go missing either. So they were very supportive, really supportive as a business. And I thank them for that. But I think it also coming out of that experience showed me that life is too short. So when Kevin hounded me yet again to come over, I actually think in a weird way that experience with my father was the was the kind of catalyst, the push to go, you know what, I don't want to leave with any regrets. My dad certainly didn't have any regrets in life and, and I learned a lot from him. So yeah, they're, they're the two big ones for me. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, appreciate your, your openness on that, Matt. And what, so let's coming back to the, to the journey that you guys are on together. So uh, Kevin's been going for three years. He's built a small team. Matt comes on board. And what is, what was the vision? Like what, what was it you guys were trying to achieve together? Yeah, I think it was fundamentally trying to be different. I I think the the biggest value in our business and in my world personally that resonates for me and our business is dare to be different. It's the one that I stick out out of the four that sits me. We've got to be different. You know, there is thousands of recruitment companies out there. We're all trying to put people into jobs. We've got to have a unique selling point. And I think it was exploring what is different, uh, what actually is different than somebody putting a job, person in a job and us finding somebody a job. And we, I'd always been a believer in tech, but I don't think I'd found the concept of what I wanted to do in tech. And Matt came along and was very clear on what that path was. So I suppose it's it's like what well, you took it to the next stage. Yeah, I think um, I came in as originally as a business development director or head of business development. I was an employee to begin with. Um, we agreed that, you know, almost on a 12-month trial to an extent for, you know, if it was going to work out, we'd explore the, the kind of dual ownership and buying into the business. So yeah, the first thing I wanted to do was was like be different in terms of the clients that we um or sectors we operated in. So I didn't we didn't want to go or stay in markets that were overly saturated in my view and actually be, you know, be be confident in being niche, knowing that those sectors would grow over time and therefore we'd we'd grow the business alongside them. And then on the tech piece, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of tech out there. Even three or four years ago, you know, video interview was about, it was being used. Um, I think some recruiters, even now, I I find it quite amusing that, you know, COVID's come along and they're almost like, you can record um, a QA and a with a candidate and send it to a client. It was like an alien subject to them. You know, we've been doing this for four years now. And for us, it was about being able to show more transparency to clients about what we're doing, who we're interviewing them, why we're interviewing them, how they come across. So I think tech was, was phase one being involved in markets where you can still be really, really close to senior decision makers, uh, that was crucial for us. I think we always wanted to build genuine value, partnerships, relationships. You know, I could genuinely call clients some friends. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we socialise, we, we we talk about lots of other stuff, life stuff outside of ever talking about business. I think that was really important to us. And then we hope over time, give a platform for, for our employees and our business to start to feel as excited as we do about tech and the sectors we work in. So yeah, that's, that's kind of been the vision. Have we achieved that? No, I think part of our personalities are we're kind of never satisfied. You know, we're constantly going, are we different enough? Review what we're doing. Can we improve it? 
are the people we've got on this journey? Can we develop them more? You know, do we need to add different blend of people in our business to take us to the next level? I don't think that ever changes really. Yeah. So I'd like to double click on this because it's a really interesting subject is differentiation and partnering with clients um, because it's it's difficult to do. And like I'd say 98% of recruiters sound pretty much the same as each other. Yeah. Um, and also they, they accept working in a very transactional way. And I don't think any recruiter wants to work that way, but they sort of like are, you know, that's what, the industry, how, how I don't know how we arrived at this point, but we've I don't know if we've done it to ourselves. But clients often expect that we're going to work in a certain way, yeah. and then recruiters just go along with it, and it's not ideal for anyone. Uh, it's not ideal for the client or the candidate, much less the the recruiter. So I'm a huge believer in what you're talking about having genuine partnerships with clients where they are working in collaboration with you rather than in an adversarial. Yeah you know, way, um, and where there's, you know, you're working on the same team to achieve the outcome that they want. Uh, they listen to your advice, they value your perspective and, and they're willing to make a commitment to you guys. So I think we'll, we'll come on to that later. Um, but on the subject of differentiation, you, you mentioned, obviously you've chosen to specialize in specific niche areas where, uh, they were not overly saturated, You've also leveraged technology and video interviewing, but could you just elaborate a little more on your value proposition and how you've you know, differentiated your service from the competition? I, th I think it. I think it all comes down to efficiency of recruitment process. We we want our clients to spend less time recruiting. I think that is the part that they we we are constantly trying to convince. Um, and I think there's a lot of people, I, I would say, in our competition that tend to say, well, okay, we will send some CVs. That's like not the outcome we want our clients. We want them to eradicate a first interview stage. What's the biggest frustration for people? Recruitment. It, it absorbs that thousands of hours. And so we believe that we want partners to work with us who trust us enough to allow us to spend time with their business, to understand their culture and eradicate CV searching and first interview stages. And this can all be done via moving your candidates to a video platform and assessing via video, centralizing the process all stakeholders in one area looking at one thing, messaging on, on one platform. Um, so I think that is our value proposition. I think the second side to our value proposition, in my eyes, and I'm sure Matt will, will elaborate again on, on where it is, we are we quite like the fact that we would call ourselves a challenger recruiter. We identify property classes that are getting a lot of money and want to be first in there. And that comes with its challenges, okay? We have to learn that space quickly, understand it, and pick the right ones because there's a lot of duds out there. You can pick the wrong place and then the investor decides to put money somewhere else. So we're in a fortunate position that we're most probably the only UK recruitment business, if not in Europe, that specializes in purely alternative investment classes, student accommodation, build to rent and co-working. A lot of recruitment companies have that as a bit on the side yeah. and hope that they're going to get some work from it. I mean, it's it's literally mine and Matt's livelihoods. We, we don't focus on anything else. 
you know, if it doesn't work for us, it's like game over. So it's our total focus. How can we be the best at alternative real estate? So I think that is our value proposition. We committed to that marketplace. We haven't got a plan B. It is all in, chips in, and we will keep following that, that market for as long as possible. And as long as the clients like us, we will constantly turn to help. Um, so that's the, the areas I feel value propositions are. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that was a great answer, Kev. I mean, for, for once in my life, I'm struggling to add much, much to it. But <laughs> I think the one thing I will will add, I think on top of what Kevin said, by by tracking this market for years and being with a lot of these clients before they even had a building operational, you know, we kept with them just to give them updates on the market and trends. I, I, I do feel our next phase of value proposition is working with clients early enough to get them the data we've accumulated from a candidate perspective into their thought processes quicker. You know, if you, if for people who don't understand how a, a building is managed, you know, the operational budget of the building has to be more or less signed off and underwritten at the, you know, development construction phase. So two years in advance, you've got to be able to say it's going to cost us this amount of money operationally from a staffing point of view, from all the, all the amenities, all the stuff that's in that building about two years in advance. Where are you getting that information from? You know, what, where are you sense checking that information on? Are you Googling what a competitor pays a building manager today? Or are you actually partnering with people who understand this stuff and looking, well, what was what were they paying two years ago? What are they paying now? What's the difference? Where, where do we need to kind of adjust these? Because those sort of numbers make a huge difference to, to the end investor. You know, that that's a profit line that can, can be looked at. So I think that's where we're trying to sort of now use our seven years in these markets alone, let alone our recruitment experience to kind of really be there from the beginning, part of that initial team in mobilizing an asset. And I think mm. just the last bit to add that, I think like what Matt and I are very passionate about is what we would say, the people on the ground, the people that are in the WeWork running it, the general manager, the community manager, Lisa manager, we do want to be their voice. Yeah. I know that sounds like quite a big statement, but I feel like they can sometimes be the unforgotten or the forgotten warriors of this. Yeah. They keep the building safe. They keep the tenants really happy. They look after, they have a lot of pressure on them. We've seen what's happened in property in the UK with, you know, the likes of Grenfell and the stresses that brings and all of these things. And as much as we can, we want to recognise them. We do do awards in this sector, recognising the, the sort of contributions of individuals who most probably a lot of the time don't even realise they're doing a good job. We have put trade, we fund training yep. for the sector. We want people who are coming from outside of the industry to gain support. And we want to add value to our clients. We will pay for people's trainings. You know, this isn't just about putting someone in a job and then we move on to the yep. next. We're long term in this. As I say, for Matt and I, it is our lives. We're here for the next 30 years doing this. So we're all about giving as much back as we can as possible. Wow, that's awesome! I, um, I didn't realize you guys. Powered speech. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's awesome because um, that is part of your value proposition as well. Then, which I didn't realize is the the extent to which you guys go and you know uh, actually funding training for the people you're placing and all that stuff. Did you say that you host an awards for the industry or? Yeah, we host two awards. Um, we've got one coming up um, in a few weeks' time. So 
we hold them sector-based and it's all about team of the year, individual of the year, and we get the operating companies to nominate their staff. And pre-COVID, we held it in a, you know, we we had a a big bar and a a location where everyone came along and it's an amazing night. It brings the sector together and it's, you know, these are national businesses. People don't see each other every day. So to come and get the whole sector in a room for people to have some competition, but discuss and share and, you know, actually celebrate some amazing things that people are doing. You know, it might only be the smallest thing that somebody gets nominated for. For example, you know, supporting someone through a bereavement in their building. They, you know, all of these little things matter. So, yeah, we, we, we're we all about wanting to recognise people at the, the front end. You know, they do an amazing job and we're, we're very passionate about that piece. That is genius. I love that idea. I'm surprised because the only I've come across a few recruitment companies who organize and host their own own awards. They tend to be much bigger than you guys, and I think um, you know they're just the organization, the cost. I mean, the one company that I can think of, um, they would have finance director of the year. And they would have HR director of the year because those are kind of two of the key sectors that they worked in. But they had a full-time events, you know, manager, and they had a big budget for this. How have you guys pulled that off? You know, when you're when you're a relatively small firm. Um, well, number one, you get me to host it for free. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot. You know, it's usually the you know, last. This will be your last year, Matt. We'll, we'll do it differently next year. That never happens. That's your first. That's your first point. Um, I think. Look, the simple thing is, it depends how you're entering into putting these awards on. If trust me, if if it was for profit, we wouldn't be doing them. We wouldn't put it on. Um, I think for us, it, it it's like Kevin said. This sector gives us a lot, you know, it's it's helped grow our business. It's helped give us kind of a purpose in many ways because we enjoy the sectors we work in. You know, if we can't give something back that, okay, there's an element of investment money that we need to put in to run it, we don't run it on a such a huge scale that it's astronomical but then we wouldn't want an awards like that because you know kevin's right it should be for for those specialist markets it should be for people on on, on the ground frontline services you know they're not but you know it, it isn't for your your fds your hrbs your, your even your ops directors you know it's it's for the people on the ground so we kind of create that vibe and that feel that that kind of got it that. so it's not like a gala black tie thing no, that's no. We, we've been asked we've been asked to look into it from by the clients and then the minute we kind of then send them a revised pricing you know we charge a basic um sort of entry fee to, to come yeah. along to the event but the minute we kind of went oh this is what catering really looks like you know they're a bit like oh you know actually you know is, is that the best way to do this so i think we've been quite collaborative haven't we with clients as to what what they actually enjoy about the event and a lot of them like the informal nature the fact that I make a bit of a fool of myself on stage and, and present some awards and, and and all the rest of it. And they have a, you know, it was a night out in, in London. It's going to be virtual until we, we come out of this. But um, yes. but it's more the sense awesome. behind it. Yeah. Well, actually, it fits with your dare to be different uh, philosophy anyway, right? Because it's kind of like that black tie gala thing has been done to death. And yeah, it can be fun. But, uh, you know, maybe yours is actually more personal. Yeah, I, again, Matt and I are not rebels, but it, it's just not us. We're yeah. not those type of people. We're pretty down to earth guys. 
we want to host it in a down-to-earth environment. Um, we don't want to take the we we don't want it to be taken away from what people are doing. Having the amazing speaker, no offense, Matt, but you know, and the fireworks. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about everyone just coming together, having a bit of a laugh, being really proud of what we're doing, um, and just remembering it on that basis. We're just not that type of world, you know, and it is dead yeah. for us. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So let's um, change gears slightly here. In our pre-interview, you guys mentioned the fact that recruitment is changing and evolving. And... Um, you know, you guys want to be leading the way with that rather than one of the people playing catch up. Could you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, try to kick that off. Yeah, go I think, for it, Matt. Um, I think the first thing that has frustrated me for a long time in recruitment, um, certainly before COVID, but I think COVID maybe brought it to the to the forefront even more was was a kind of no win no fee culture, um, and whether that. It's like you alluded to earlier, whether whether the industry has created that or clients have created that is is, is a mute point. Um, it's just there. It's a kind of you know it's it's in the ether. Um, I think interesting for me and Kevin was when COVID hit, and you know we're quite honest about this. You know it had a devastating effect on on job flow. I think anyone in any sector irrespective of you know some sectors being hit a lot harder than ours by the way but at that first point 23rd 24th of March you know everything stopped you know for at least six weeks in my view you know vacancies that were live were on hold placements that were starting were, were put in jeopardy and, and we were fortunate enough to actually we you know these buildings were operational so most of in fact all of our placements more or less started as they should do in March and in April which you know, it was, was a good thing. But I think it, it highlighted to me and Kevin, we're looking at this going, we are so exposed. What COVID showed us is that so many jobs on that jobs list, bar some mobilisation projects, were no win, no fee. And they can be taken away like that, irrespective of the fact in most instances, we had got to interview stage or the latter stages of, of a process. So we quickly had a look at our, our proposition, our pricing, and decide this was the time to commit to actually breaking down the recruitment fee to a client in a very transparent way and go, this is, this is what each part looks like. So creating a retainer feel, but in a different way, you know, that makes sense at a 
40 to 45k or 30k placement so the big big thing for me is that we we've been able to massively i hate to use the word pivot because it gets used all the time now but i'm going to use it i can't think of a better word we pivoted to the point where we were able to get that in play with clients get some money up front because actually we're here we want to commit to these roles we want to make sure it happens but if the role gets cancelled we're not so exposed that it puts our whole business in a in a really really sticky situation so for me that's that's kind of the, the big thing that i think needs to change across the board i think if 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 a recruitment business genuinely values what they do can demonstrate their processes are better than just flinging a cv for 15 to 20% they should be rewarded for that courage and they should be able to charge money up front and be held accountable if they've got no interest in adding any more value then they should just carry on sending CVs, not be accountable to that client. And if they get lucky, they get a deal. If they don't, they walk away. That's not us. You know, we, we stuck our necks on the line and we continue to do it daily, which means walking away from business as well, which, you know. I th- This is very, very dear to my heart, the subject. I'm really glad you brought it up. Um, are you open to explaining how that model works? Like, uh, it sounds intriguing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to. I think, um, you know, for us, we see it's not rocket science. You know, the recruitment is almost, you know, segmented into components, if you like. You know, so from our perspective, you've got the, you've got the attraction piece. You've got the, the physical delivery presentation of candidates. Again, we feel that clients should have a choice and a say in that, and there should be a cost associated to it. So they can choose different options dependent on, what their appetite is. You know, everything we deliver is done on an online portal anyway. So you've got visibility, whether it's CV only or it's video, but clients should choose that. They should be involved in that decision. There's a cost associated to that. There's the physical success of filling a role. So there should be a fee for getting that right person, getting them into the business, managing the process, managing the offer scenario, et cetera. And then actually I think where we are being more inventive is around the placement protection as well. You know, I feel clients should have a choice and a say in that. They shouldn't necessarily just get the off-the-shelf eight to twelve weeks sliding scale off you go. If they want more protection, much like if I want a better guarantee on my washing machine, I can pay for that, you know. And and I think that's where we're we're trying to sort of get clients on that journey where there's different things you can choose. It's a bit like a menu. What is your appetite? What's the requirement? Because not every requirement's the same. Not every business is the same. And, and you know, it seems to be something that is is resonating with people. They've, they've got choice. They've got control. And then we're also accountable to those different parts of the process as well. Yeah, I, I, I love think, that. I yep. think the, the, the big thing is, 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 as Matt says, is on the protection, oh, uh, on the protection side, um, I think, you look at every part of recruitment it just is that the model is not fundamental to become a professional type of business is it you can't you know we all laugh on jeremy carl when no win no fee lawyers come up but then we're no better than that as an industry so you know we need to look at ourselves and go well what are we trying to be i think the 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 world is moving on i think the top biller type scenario is changing um and i i think we want to give our clients as much guarantee as possible that we are in this as much as they are and 12 weeks fundamentally isn't in even in this world and in a future world is not enough time to assess assess people anymore 
So why 95% of terms and conditions have that in there? It, it, it me. If you're a client and you want to take that, that is fine. But you should have the choice to work with your partner and go, well, actually, we've got to onboard someone now virtually. That's not going to change. That's going to take longer to assess. They're not going to be with us every day in the office. I might, because I run a national business, only get to see them now once every two months, not once every three to four weeks. Can you just give me some more time? I don't want to base my decision in 12 weeks. It's not fair, you know, but also I'm under pressure. We live in a world that is challenged by the economy and I, I have to watch my pounds and pennies. So we, we want to give clients flexibility. And, and that comes with also, there's a lot of clients out there that don't want to do video interviews yet. Maybe don't feel confident with it, feel that their current processes are right and, and, and haven't changed. So you can buy that service from us but we would always advise you to do this because we want to, as I said at the very beginning, it's about efficiencies. Using video interview will make your journey more efficient and you should go with that method. So we just want to give, I think, more chance. A percentile fee is variable on a salary. Yeah. We just want clients to pick and choose what they want. Take that transparency, you have it. I think we always look at... Um, when you go and see a lawyer, they charge you up front. You don't even know at that point how good they are. When you go and see a physio, they charge you. You don't go and get the physio and then go, actually, I don't want it. You don't go to the lawyer, actually, you've given me three hours of your time. I don't want to pay for it. You don't go to an accountant and go, well, you've, you've done my books now, but I'm, I, you know, I don't think it was good enough, the service. I think I'm only going to pay. We, ha we have to see ourselves as a, a professional service and start. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, uh, that resonates really strongly for me. Um, so I... The way you've described this sounds really, really interesting, and and it's exactly opposite of what I see happening. Because what right now people are panicking and they're feeling really uh, uncertain about the future, and so what I see the majority of recruiters doing is almost out of desperation, just grabbing at any vacancy they can get. And we should be doing the exact opposite. We should be more discerning right now, because you could, you know wasting your time on things that you're never going to complete or that are low probability um, is not going to help. You know, it just gives you a false sense that you're doing something productive, but the reality is you might be better off investing that time doing something else uh, with your business. So, so I'm really interested to hear you say that. The stats do not lie on this stuff. Every, you know, every piece of retained work, even if it's a small amount upfront, the fee, the percentile chance of the client securing that person and them staying long term is much better than a contingent type scenario. It's just a non-lie. You take all emotion out, take all process. The, the stats do not lie. You know, headhunters will always tell you it's a hundred percent fill rate on a role you give me retain. They're absolutely right. You go to any contingent recruitment business and they do their job on to fill ratio. Come to me and find anyone that has higher than a 60% fill rate. The, the that would be very unusual. It'll be 60% uh, average. Yeah. So you've got to find some less actually, uh, yeah. Kevin. 30% contingency is pretty good. good. Yeah. Um, the average is more like 20%. So that means 80% of the time, the there's you know, you've you've worked for free. You've got and, five vacancies there. Yeah. So the client has to know that he, that role is not good enough in the current financial model they're given to the recruiter. The recruiter has to find vacancies to have one chance of making a fee. Right. It's broke. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it make sense. I, I obsess about data. I'm Kevin will lead to this. I've maybe spent too much time looking at it, but at our own business level, if I look at all of the work that we've accumulated post COVID, say, let's look at that data on this model. So this this element of money up front, every completed assignment on that model, we're tracking at eighty three percent fill rate. If you look at the seventeen percent, we didn't fill. It's exactly the whole reason we asked for money up front in the first place. Role gets kind of put to one side. Maybe that we might just run with an internal option for a bit longer. We're not quite sure if we need this person after interviewing three or four people. It's very rarely that the requirement's gone elsewhere. It's the clients change their mind through a break. Right. The difference this time is we're not going to front all of the, the pain of them changing their mind. We're at least covered for an element of our sourcing. If you look at roles that we're still, the legacy stuff that's still in our business outside of that, we're tracking exactly where you've kind of indicated. We're about 28%. So we're, we're, we're not bad at contingent, but I look at the two and go, I'd sure as heck rather a nice bulk, a manageable workload and be at 83% and try and improve on that rate than have high volume like we were doing pre-COVID, you know, lots of vacancies, looks good for the ego, but we're only ever filling 28% of them it's 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 gone for me you know it makes no sense absolutely i i couldn't agree more you made a statement to me earlier you said the cv is dying could you explain what you mean by that i okay so it's, it's a bold statement i you know as you can see we're passionate about a certain way of doing recruitment i just think now in a world with a million different job titles and really duties being fairly similar inside all those job tasks. How do you tell? We talk a lot about culture. And as a recruiter, the easiest thing for us is skill matching, let's say. Look through a CV. You do X, Y, Z in that CV. My job description says X, Y, Z. That is a match. Great. But look at your hiring decisions and motivators. It's rarely on skill. It's cultural fit. Who is right for my organization? Who resonates my values? Who research me more? Doesn't matter what level you're at. So I don't I think you can waste a lot of time looking at a CV to skill match. It's it's fairly simple that part. What you're looking for is somebody that is right for your business. And I believe getting to see that person as soon as possible via a video allows you to understand the full person. What are people's biggest frustrations as hiring managers? They always phone you up and say, as soon as they turned up, I knew I didn't want them. As soon as they said the first sentence, I could tell they hadn't researched our company. Well, why are you wasting your time bringing that person in, sitting down an hour of your management time? You can work all that out in, in less than about five minutes on a video. You can ask certain questions on a video that you would have asked at a face-to-face -face video uh, interview. Allow it to be done. Trust me, it will be a lot more efficient. So I think um, I think it's it, it's it's dead because it lacks personality. And sadly, our world—well, not sadly—that's the wrong thing. Our world is all about personality. We are a service-driven, particularly in the UK nation. So everything's about customer service, which is about the person, not the skill. And so, yeah, that's that's my view. And Matt, I'm where? Um, yeah, and I, and I think um, we also talk about sort of reducing um, the kind of bias towards certain things in life. And I think if you if you look at the CV, I mean, how many times does, does a hiring manager look at it and go either, wow, they've worked at that place, they must be great, 
or they've worked for this organization, they must be terrible. You know, these, these very, very quick assumptions based mm -hmm. on length of service, who they've worked for, what like, you know, all of that can be mitigated or that risk can be kind of reduced by, by showcasing another side of them. And for us, that's usually a, a recorded Q and A. It's still got a bit of competency to it, shows personality, delves into some of that experience and at least a client is then deciding balance on CV, balance on how they come across as an individual. I will either continue down this process or actually I might have enough information to make a decision now. It's, it's about opening up people to, to, to more intel, more data, more visibility on a candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I was just going to add to that. And I think it gives more transparency. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of the time a hiring manager gives us a brief and we go off for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. And we might call the hiring manager once a week to give them an update on the role is their feedback. The hiring manager, we are the biggest brand managers. It's the first point of contact on your mm. business it comes from us, the recruiter. We're yes. So, I think if you can't see what your recruiter is doing, how do you know how they're explaining the business? So at least on a video, when the recruitment consultant is on the left and the candidate is on the right and you're watching the recording, you're seeing both people in play. Ah, that's interesting. Because I, I didn't realize you had both sides of the conversation in your video. Because um, uh, some platforms just record the candidate's answers and you have those clips. So... We're advocates of two ways. Yeah, we want yeah. Our, our we want our consultants assessed just as much as our people to make sure we're representing your brand in the right way. Got it. Okay, interesting. D do you get the clients to do a video as well? Well, that's the hard thing. Yeah. You know, the whole point that we don't at the moment, and I think right now in a time poor world you know, you pay us to represent your brand. A client can do a video to say, yes, this is the role. But actually, our briefing session is about getting that part assessed for you and us to represent you. Um, but I think that's the, I'm not going to lie, that's the next evolution we will move to. I think still, though, in recruitment, most, I think we're still needing, a lot of people still need to get their confidence up in believing video is here to stay. Yeah. And so before we can ask our clients to do it, uh, you know, and I think this is why we haven't done it, we need to get our piece right first. We need to learn through failure on what works and what doesn't and get it right. And then we can educate our clients to come onto that platform, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it. I don't know what your views. No, I think we're, we're, we're getting closer to that. I think we're doing... Yeah, I've started doing recorded Q&As with a client about the role. Yes. And at the moment, we're kind of releasing that more internally to our delivery teams to make sure that we're not duplicating loads of people talking to the client about the same sort of set of questions. But mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting point. I think the next stage will be actually tailoring something, part of almost the candidate attraction pack, so they can have a look at the JD and they can actually listen to the line manager go, what I really need is X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably the next the next phase, actually. I mean, I think, absolutely. I, I think that could be an interesting direction to explore. You know, if speaking of property, I know this isn't your um, segment of property, but when, when we sold our house, then the estate agent puts together a brochure, they do a video, you know, tour of the house. They have, you know, uh, a pack, essentially a marketing pack that they send out to, you know, interested uh, people. 
And, um, you know, in some sense, we could package the opportunity, the client, the role in a similar way. And the value add there is we're coaching, like no other recruiter is going to do this. You guys have the hiring manager or maybe, you know, a couple of team members on camera talking about what they love about the company, why they joined the organization, what, you know, how it's accelerated their career and and so on and so forth. And um, then it, you know, it's an equal, it's a level playing field. So they're expecting the candidate to jump through those hoops. Why shouldn't the client equally be prepared to, to do the same? And that'll be come down to the client's decision-making on their hiring process. Yeah. Because for that okay. to happen, they need yeah. to commit to a company that will represent them in the recruitment space to find them and the right skills and talent. And I think yes. that ultimately where you get to, there's still many clients that see the best way of doing this. So I don't miss somebody is I will brief five organizations to find me CVs. And until we, the, everyone changes their model and, and starts eradicating no win, no fee, having confidence in their skill sets and services and their USPs and clients really actually, this decision now is I have to choose which recruitment company I need to spend an upfront fee with over, I can give it to five recruitment companies. If four don't work out, I'm all right because I don't have to pay for that. They're taking all the cost. So I think until... So we as a, a, a sector have to start all getting to charging people a, yes. a retain fee because it works them on both parties. Our clients will get the much better experience and most probably we will start changing perceptions of what recruitment is. But mm -hmm. until we all start doing that, there's always going to be somebody that wants to do it for free or less money because actually, you know, by giving someone it for a lesser price, they'll win the work. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. Tell me, like, what does the future hold then for the property recruitment company? Um, I think short term, it's like anyone. Um, survival, uh, keep enhancing our products, uh, keep working with our staff to get through this period. Um, you know, I know Matt, We'll talk further, but for many people that join recruitment past 2010, this is the first true test of us and how mm -hmm. we'll get through this period. And then after that, look, we're, we're big believers in, you know, the, we are a national proposition and actually into Europe. The exciting thing for us is there's so many territories deep down that we don't have offices in. And what is proven when we opened Manchester was that ability to be localised and speak to people and be able to walk to someone's office or know the area, the streets, property is about location. We, we have so many things, you know, the next two areas are for us is Newcastle. We want to open an office um, and then Dublin. We, we're looking to open office there as, as, as soon as we find the right people that believe in our, our values, our tech and our proposition. Yeah, I think to, to add to Kevin's point, I think um, the future of property recruitment companies is actually a very positive one by just looking at the markets alone and the level of investment and the amount of investment that is coming out of, I would say, industries like retail, unfortunately, and, and elements of hospitality that have been hit hard by this and then being redeployed, albeit slowly, 
into more robust sectors like, um, you know, in the residential space, built to rent, purpose-built student accommodation, as an example of that, that's really, really positive. So I actually think me and Kevin, our, our roles now as leaders, less about the external. I think we, we, we've got the product range. I think we'll always be quite good at communicating with the senior leaders in, the, in those spaces. I actually think the biggest challenge is going to be internal factors. And by what I mean, we are now going into, and I think it's here to stay, more of a client development, business development, relationship management on that side. So in, in other words, I think there will be now a tightening up of free-flowing vacancies for every type of position. I think people are going to be a bit more creative with who they hire and where they hire them from. And therefore, you know, we, we typically employ people that have been used to doing the delivery. They're, they're of a certain age, you know, profile, sub 28, and, and, and sort of maybe not being used to having to really step up and, and sort of work really closely with clients, build trust, build relationships, constantly talking to lots of people, networking, all of those sort of things that, in fairness, me and Kevin have kind of been doing for the last sort of 15 years or so. Um, that's going to be fascinating. And I, and I think the industry as a whole is either going to, it's going to have to become a lot better at business development. That sounds, sounds strange, but I, I think a lot of recruiters have got very used to a job rich markets and, and maybe candidates short invested a lot of time in how to be a really good candidate resource. It's, it's flipping the other way in my view, yep. certainly in our sectors. Yep. Um, and, and that's going to be a real, real challenge for us. Yeah, you know, you're, you're totally right. That is exactly what's happening. And, um, so how are you guys addressing that? Well, I think you have to just change the balance. I think, so going to do business development, you need something to offer, all right? And crucially, turning up and saying, I can do your work for 15% isn't good enough anymore. So we've got the tools, as Matt says, we've got a video platform that is proven to increase your success as a client. We've got a pricing tool that allows you now to choose how you want your service driven and what matters to you, you know, you identify and pay us on those those successes. Um, and I think it's training and development. It's, you know, getting people to understand we've all got to get out of our comfort zones. We're all in survival. We're all in the trenches. It doesn't matter what level you are in a business anymore, what experience you've got. We're all at the same starting point. So personally, my view is anyone that can make through this period and business develop and work their hardest every day. One of our other values is graph for success. This will be the making of their career. We came out of an environment in, you know, we joined the recruitment sector as the 07 crash happened. We were bought up in business development, turn up every day, call people, talk to people. Do they need help? What do they need? My Lord, I'm glad they taught me that because it's it's made me now see it as a norm. And I think anyone that is lucky enough to be in this position now, employed in a recruitment company and gets that business development is at the forefront and grinds it out for the next six months, their career will skyrocket. Because fundamentally in any business, business development will always be the front. There's no point having a funnel if you can't put anything into it. So I think it is just getting our people to believe in the processes believe what they're doing is right and understand that for a th- there's a thousand rejections now in this marketplace and that won't change for six months. Just take it, use it either as, use it as a tool 
and go back the next time and work harder on it. So it's just trying to get people in the steering in the right direction. It's a, it's a massive pivot, massive pivot. I've mean, none of us have been here before. That on March the twenty third, we were in a candidate rich market. March the twenty fourth, we were in a business development market. Twenty four hours. You know, yep. there's nothing ever been like this from what I know. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I just think got to get comfortable now with being uncomfortable and being told no a heck of a lot more times than yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you you used an expression that, what was it, grind to success or what, what was it? success. Graft, graft. Okay. Yeah. Um, and look, um, business development is, to me, a fundamental skill that – I think has been somewhat lost in the last since the last recession, right? Uh, anyone who's joined once the economy was growing again may not have really developed those skills like you know we all did coming up uh, in this business. So for sure, that's a that's a huge issue. But I'd like to just ask you about this graph to success because look, totally agree that you really can't, especially in this environment. Um, be successful without hard graft. At the same time, uh, like thinking about my myself, I need to balance that with not burning out. Because, like when this when this whole pandemic started, sort of March or or whatever, um, I sort of decided, right, okay, now I need to really step up. And you know, um, if I've been coasting at all, that stops today. And like I'm gonna work do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, I'm successful here. And I, but I kind of set my pace, assuming it was like a t- six month time frame. Yeah. And we're well past that now. And so now I'm starting to feel the, you know, like, wow, I don't know how much longer I can sustain this kind of tempo that I've, I've been uh, working to. How within your business are you fostering that mindset of grinding and, and grafting, but without, people hitting the wall and, and, and having, you know, maybe stress and anxiety and that, those issues as well. Yeah. Um, I knew you were going to pass that one to me. <laughs> um, I mean, the honest start, the honest answer is we're, we're still finding the, the, the answer or solutions to that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what we've got better at doing again is it's stripping things, but I mean, people say going back to basics, but it's a bit like um, you know foot, football analogy here. You know, everyone at the moment is saying people have lost the art of defending in in a football game because there's there's loads of goals. What do you do? You get back on the training field and you kind of look at the kind of real key metrics in terms to to improve an area. So for us, it's not about having loads of different targets that people are kind of getting lost in. Oh, what's more important? Which KPI should I be really focused on? It, it's kind of really getting them down to sort of a, a day-to-day plan, you know, a BD plan for a week with some genuinely basic and achievable goals. So you're right, they don't come out of that week going, oh, I'm useless. I, you know, I've, 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 not, I've not got a vacancy on. You know, we've got to control those controllables a bit. And I think you have to start looking at success of making a few meaningful conversations a day and and hoping that that starts to develop into something a bit more. So I think we're getting better at that. I think um, we've had to manage our own expectations. You know, that there are going to be 
um, less job opportunities out there as a, as a as a norm now than there was maybe previously. So therefore, you, you have to manage your metrics a little bit differently. Um, but I think it's installing the right mindset in people. I think where we can pass our experience down is that this won't be the first or last time that they'll have a struggle in their career, whether it's recruitment or outside of that. It's certainly hell won't be the last time any of us experience a, a recession or possibly even the pandemic, dare I say it. So you, you have to put everything in context and go, look, this is a period of time. It won't last forever. But the big learn should be that don't ever get complacent. Don't ever stop talking to people because make one more call. That might be the difference between getting a lead and not getting a lead. But you're right. It's finding that balance as well. You know, don't don't just keep doing the same thing if you're not getting a return on it. You know, keep assessing what you're doing and, and take time out for yourself. For me, the big plus of COVID and, and having a bit more agility with, with work-life balance and being at home, you know, I'm out running again more. You know, I'm finding those half an hour every day to do a 3K. It makes a awesome. huge difference. You know, you're ready again for that that afternoon session again. So I think it's it, you should be able to, as business owners and, and as businesses, find that balance if you if you really think about it and work hard enough at it. I think, yeah, it's, and, and that's the point is it's balance, okay? Um, I think actually if you speak to a lot of people now, they say they've got more balance in their life than they've ever had. We're managing our lives better. Let's not get that wrong. I think it's about what I've learned is maximise the hours you turn up. Yeah. I think you can do at home now or even in the office, people are realising that it is better to do three two-hour chunks in one sense than trying to do four hours lunch, four hours. Um, I think also you as a person need to balance how you live your life outside of work. We live in a world that's incredibly connected. LinkedIn is a 24 hour, say, you know, seven days a week. You can access anyone you want. And I think that's the part. Even if you feel you're getting obsessive about certain things, you've got to put away the phone. The phone is the biggest thing that keeps us at work now. It's, yes. yes. You know, we, we worked, as I say, we worked pre of smartphone and at six, five o'clock, six o'clock, you left the office. You didn't think about work. You, you couldn't. You had to wait to go in the next day <laughs> yeah. to pick up a physical landline and speak to someone. You know, the best you're getting was an SMS yeah. and that cost 10p and I couldn't yeah. afford that back then. So I think it's Guys, people have to personally balance their lives for what works for them. Uh, makes total sense. Great answer. Look, I really enjoyed this. I could talk to you all day, but we've run out of time. So um, let's say to be continued. I'd like to pick up with you guys again at some point and track your journey. And, uh, you know, but no doubt you're going to be super successful. So thanks so much for for being on The Resilient Recruiter. Thanks for having us, Mark. Been great. Great Thank Thank you. you. All right. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.